Welcome to church, family. How are we? We good? Great. What a beautiful time of worship it's been. Thank you, Lee. Thank you, Ken. Thank you, Cece, for navigating us through words so we could worship freely and not hold paper like pamphlets. It's been incredible. Roxy, you have such a beautiful voice. I, I closed my eyes. I'm sorry to put you on the spot. Um, sorry, not sorry. But I, I closed my eyes, and, and it's just this, there's a song. Okay, so a song I heard yesterday. I heard it a couple months ago at a conference, and I haven't heard it since. And the guy released it yesterday. Um, it's called Endless Alleluia by Corey Asbury. Ridiculous. But... I like closed my eyes when she would say I could hear her, and I was like, this is what it's going to sound like in heaven. Those, those beautiful voices singing out, and of course me singing loud, <laughs> and off key, whatever, but it was beautiful. Amen. <laughs> oh, my goodness. What a day. Feels like there's there's a weight in the room. Hey, I'm just gonna call the elephant out in the room. Feels like there's a weight in the room, but I, what we're gonna do is, we are going to go through the Word of God today. We're gonna go through His promises and His character, and that's gonna shift. So I'm believing that whatever maybe we came in with or just around us in our surroundings, that God is gonna do something in us through us this morning. Amen. Amen. Does that sound good? Let's start with prayer if we can. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Jesus, your name is beautiful. And you know other words around it. We thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you for your love the power in your name that you've made available to us, your spirit that lives and resides in us, God, and empowers us. We thank you. Father, we ask that you would open our hearts to your word this morning. May we hear you so clearly. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So it'll probably take me a moment to warm up, but... This week, we are going to close out the book of Haggai, or Haggai, right? So we're going to close it out. Last week, we, I feel like we ended in a great place, an amazing place, but there's still 13 verses of this book that we didn't really go through, um, and some of it is a little, well, you'll see. We're going to go through it today, but it's going to be good. Um, so like last week, for whoever was here last week, whoever wasn't here last week, we talked about how it takes consistency and resolve to build a life of faith one day at a time, right? It takes consistency and resolve to build a life of faith one day at a time, brick by brick, right? And we left off that where we left off where the people of Judah had begin to work, began to work because God had given them promises and he told them, right, he said, well, initially, it says, 
what are you guys doing living in these paneled homes and look at my, my home in shambles? What are you doing? Calls him out on that, and then he goes to call him and tell him, but I'm with you. Go ahead and build. I want you to build. And they get so excited, and they start to build. He tells them, be strong and work. Right? Be strong and work. Go after it. And they get really excited, and then he speaks to Haggai again, and he says, tell them this, that the glory of this present house will surpass the glory of the former house. Remember, and that's where we left off last week. But what we're going to learn today is that in their time that they neglected building the temple, they didn't only neglect to build the temple, but they neglected the spiritual condition of their hearts. So it wasn't just a structure that they neglected, but they neglected the inside of them. We're going to begin in verse 10 of chapter 2 today. And verse 10 actually begins off with saying, On the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai. On the 24th day of the ninth month in the second year of Darius, and we could read that and think, why is that important? More numbers, more days. But as we're praying over Ken today, God is a God of seasons. God's a God of days. God's a God of actually celebrating and remembering things and to, likes to remind us of things because a lot of times it reminds us of his faithfulness. So the 24th day of the ninth month, what would this have been? This would have been almost four months after the first message that Haggai delivered to the people. The first rebuke, which was, what is with the paneled homes? What are you doing? Build my house. You built yours. You focus on yours. Build mine. So almost four months after that, we got to remember the book of Haggai is only two chapters. And those two chapters only span over four months. So we're at the tail end. So four months into that. And it's also two months since his second message, which was be strong and work. So two months, they'd begun to work on the temple. Two months in, and then here we are. We're coming up on this. And the word of the Lord, see, it comes to Haggai. It's really interesting because the word of the Lord comes to him and he asks a question to the priest. He directs it to the priest directly and he says, he has a question about how consecrated meat is handled and what's consecrated meat. Consecrated meat is the meat that is made holy for sacrifice. So when they'd slaughter an animal, the priest would hang on to this. And it's God's asking these questions. He's not like trying to catch them slipping. And he's not trying to catch them. He's not like trying to say, you don't know what I'm going to talk about. Or you don't know your law, priest, do you? No, he's actually just trying to see if we're seeing eye to eye. God's like, I just want to talk about this for a minute. I'm going to ask you a question, but it's not to trick you. It's literally like, let's just be in agreement for a moment if we can, Okay. I'm going to ask you this just to make sure that we're on the same page. Now, can basically what he's talking about is he asks him, can something that is holy make other things become holy by way of association or by contact? 
So it's something that is holy or clean. Can it make other things that it maybe is associated with or touches or contacts become clean and vice versa? Can something unclean do the same thing? Right? And he starts to ask them this and they're like, okay, okay, we get this. We get this. Like, something that's clean, it can't make something that's unclean clean. And something, you know, it's a little, it's not cryptic, but like you first read, it's very Levitical law. It's Old Testament. It's like in Leviticus chapter 22, how to handle ceremonial meat, if you ever want to read that. Spend some good reading, reading time on that. But they get to this point and they, they agree that this can't happen. That because of association or by contact, this stuff can't change. Something can't go clean to unclean. Still sounds a little out there, right? You're like, why is this like, God, what are you doing about this? But as soon as they agree, this is where God's like, uh-uh-uh. Wait, wait, wait. So we're on the same page, right? But actually, this is exactly what you're doing. And people are like, what do you, what do you mean? But see, what was taking place is the people of Judah started working on the temple, working on a holy place. So therefore, they started to think, because they were working on something holy, they started to rationalize and think, well, we're working on this holy thing for God, so therefore, I must be getting holy. I must be starting to become righteous because of this, because of what I'm doing, because of this act, because I'm building something holy by way of association, I'm becoming holy. And God's like, no. Actually, you got this completely and utterly mixed up. It's not going down like that. I don't think you guys realize. He proceeds to tell them like, Anything you do, Judah, anything you people do is going to remain tainted. And why is that? He said, because you never came back to me and made things right. You walked away and you turned away and you focused in on building your own lives, building your own homes, and you've never come back to me. You simply just started to build. And you thought because you're doing something for me that everything was going to make everything fine? It doesn't happen like that. God was telling them basically, like, I want you to prioritize me. I actually want all of you. I want a heart that's fully devoted to me, not just a heart that's devoted to task. Let that sink in for a second. It's like what we're declaring over this year, yes and amen, over 2018. God was asking the people of Israel for their best yes. He said, sure, you said yes, you'll build. But I want you to say, yes, God, I'll give you all of me. And that wasn't made available. So performing holy work did not make them holy. Ironic. What's funny is that ideology is still around today in Christianity. God, maybe if we do something, you'll make me holy. Maybe if I do something for you, I'll be in right standing. If I do enough of the right things, it should qualify me, right? For your grace, for your love. 
But that's not conditioned by our work. That's conditioned by the work of the cross. So that's still around today. But I'm not going to, we're going to not even focus so much in on that portion of the works portion. I want to go back to the Israelites for a moment. So God makes it very clear. This is not what's going on here. You're not just going to do something and we'll be in right standing. I actually want you to come back to me and come back to me wholeheartedly and give me all of yourself, not just to do work. Now I'm going to skip down, or not skip down, excuse me, go down to verse 15. This is right after God calls them out. And what's been going on here is the Israelites have been working for two months now. They've been working for two months and none of it has been easy. They've been working on this temple, and it's been a struggle with everything. It's been an uphill battle. I wonder if you felt that way before. How often do we feel like when we give God our yes is when it's just uphill for days, and we don't see anything else? We keep moving and pushing, but God, I'm getting worn out. It's just tiring. I'm exhausted. I can't do this anymore, right? So there's grumbling amongst these people. they got to be saying, like, think of this. They're like, God, hold on. Like, you said the reason that we were having a hard time to begin with, you know, materially and physically, was that we weren't working on your temple. Well, we are. We've been working on it for two months. Now what? Again, ever have dialogue like that with God? I know I have. God, I, the reason I'm doing this is because you said so. And now what? I don't see anything. I have nothing to show from it, God. What's going on? Nothing's happening. Where's the change? Why has it been such a struggle for the past two months we've been doing this and we just cannot push through? Verses 15 through 17 says, Now give careful thought to this from this day on. Consider how things were before one stone was laid on another in the Lord's temple. When anyone came to a heap of 20 measures, there was only 10. When anyone went to a wine vat to draw 50 measures, there was only 20. I struck all the work of your hands with blight, mildew, hail, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. It's pretty harsh, right? But God's saying, when you went to that grain and you needed to pick up 50 measures, there was only 20 there. When you needed that wine and you went to pour it in something, you only had maybe half of it. That struggle you've been going through since you said yes, I'm actually doing that. And I'm actually allowing that to happen right now because I want to draw you back to me. So God was actually allowing that. He's like, I did that on purpose I see where your heart is at. I see where your heart is at. And I want to be first in your heart. Verses 18 and 19. Now God answers them. After he tells them this, this is going to get better, y'all. I know it's pretty heavy. Bear with me. From this day on, from this 24th day of the ninth month, give careful thought to the day when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Give careful thought. Is there yet any seed left in the barn? Until now the vine and the fig tree, the pomegranate and the olive tree have not borne fruit. 
But what does that say? From this day on, I will bless you. From this day on, I will bless you. But see again how God begins this in verse, or excuse me, verse 18. From this day on, from this 24th day of the ninth month, God is like saying, take a picture, write it down, do what you got to do. This day, remember this day. Remember the hardship that you've gone through to this point. And I've just revealed to you why you've gone through this. Remember this day because from this day forward, he says what? From this day on, I will, I will bless you. From this day on, church, I will bless you. God is into the details because God does not want us forget to forget. He knows that we're frail people. He knows that we will forget. He knows that once he answers a prayer, we might forget. We'll remember for 24 hours and celebrate and praise, but then when Monday comes around and life gets hard again, we forget that he just answered something we've been waiting for breakthrough for for months, right? It's on to the next thing. But he's like, remember this day. Write it down. Remember this day from this day forward. I'm going to change things. I'm going to bless you. The day the foundation was relayed, your best days are ahead. Your best days are ahead. Now that you've turned to me, now that you've actually given me your best yes, You've given me all of your heart. Now it's time. See, God wanted their hearts, not just their hands. Yes, he wanted both, and he wanted them to build the temple with him, but he didn't just want that. He really desired for them to do this together. That's what he desired. I want to do this with you, and I want to do this through you. I believe that that's so often that's what God's wanting to say to us. And I believe that that's a word for us right now in 2018 for us to really declare yes and amen, for us to really step into freedom into that and own that. We need to believe, church, that God wants to do this with us and through us. We need to stop pushing at it against all of the, the circumstance and all of the obstacles, we keep pushing against them on our own and then crying out and saying, God, I need your help. Where are you? When he's like, I never meant for you to carry that weight. I want to carry it for you. Let me get in there. Let's do this together. Verse 19, he says, is there any seed left in the barn? Until now the vine and the fig tree, the pomegranate and the olive tree have not borne fruit. He's acknowledging like there has been a struggle and I see your barns. There is no seed left. You've sown everything. You have nothing and you've seen no fruit whatsoever. That's a struggle. These people came out of captivity. They would still see the Babylonian soldiers and chariots around them as a little reminder, you're still captive. You're free, but you're not. They tried growing food. They, didn't, they never had enough. God says that like when you made money, you'd only get it, make money to put it in a purse with holes in it. Like you never had enough. Your trees are not bearing fruit. You're not seeing anything thriving. But this day forward, I'm going to bless you. 
God is telling them the fruit is coming. The fruit is on its way. Church, harvest time is coming. When you're believing for something, harvest time is coming. God is saying, wait and remain. Wait and remain. And that's something else that it's, it's a hard message to hear, but it's something that we actually need to understand that at times we keep pushing and we want the immediate blessing. Like how many of us, if the foundation's laid, we're like, done? Look what I did, God. I'm ready. Give it to me. You told us you're going to make life different the last time you promised this to us two months ago, and we have nothing. I do it too. But do we ever consider that there's moments during time where God is like, just wait and remain. Wait and remain in me because the fruit is on its way. The harvest that you've been waiting for and you've been yearning for, you've been working so hard for and you haven't seen anything, it's coming. The fruit is on its way. The 24th day of the ninth month is a reminder. This is a reminder for Israel and for us today that God himself is not just a promise giver, but he's a promise keeper. When we sing these songs that we've been singing, when we start to actually want to declare yes and amen over God's promises over our year, something needs to shift in our heart. And the reality is that so many of us are in that tension between we understand that God is a promise maker, right? But is he a promise keeper? We're in that tension because we might see that the barn is empty. There's no more seed. We've sown it all. There's no crops. The fields are empty. And all we have is a promise to cling on to. But God is saying, remember this day because I am faithful. Remember this day because I am faithful. From this day on, I will bless you. From this day on, you will not have that same struggle. I'm going to bless you. Just wait and remain. There's restoration coming. Restoration is on its way. Does that sound good, church? Yeah. Are you with me? I know it's heavy. What's, are you awake? Are you still awake? All right. We're going to go into verses 20 through 23 right now. Zerubbabel, the, the Lord's signet ring, this portion says, I'm going to read this if I can. Now the word of the Lord came to Haggai a second time on the 24th day of the ninth month. There again we see the 24th day of the ninth month. Ninth month. There's a reason. So God encouraged them once already this day. Now it's coming back a second time. And he sees this guy, this leader off to the side, stressed. Slightly relieved. God just spoke, and from this day forward, I will bless you. But this guy looks like a wreck. Verse 21 says, tells the rubble, governor of Judah, that I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth. I will overturn royal thrones and shatter the power of the foreign kingdoms. I will overthrow chariots and their drivers. Horses and their riders will fall, each by the sword of his brother. 
Sounds very apocalyptic, right? It is, if you ever want to read it on your own. There's a lot of ties to, to the Messiah coming. But verse 23, on that day declares the Lord Almighty, this is beautiful. He says, I will take you, servant, my servant, Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and I will make you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord Almighty. I will make you like my signet ring. In biblical times, the kings had signet rings, and what it was is obviously it was something of tremendous worth and value. But what it signified was that there's ownership and authority. It was identity was in this ring. See, there's honor and there's the power portion of it, but it's also a personal guarantee that this king had because what kings would do is they would stick this in wax, and when they would decree something, they would press their signet ring against the scroll as their signature, declaring something. If there was a formal document that was rolled up, they would put their ring in this wax and they would seal it on this scroll. It was like the official stamp. And then why is God saying, like, I'm going to make you my signet ring? It's all kind of all over the place, right? But see, this actually hit pretty close to home for the governor's Zerubbabel. This signet ring thing hit really close to home. See, his name, obviously, he was a Jewish man. But he had a name from Babylon. This man was born in captivity. His name actually means seed of Babylon or offspring of Babylon. And if you go through the lineage, you'll actually see that he was a very grandson of King Jehoiakim, the last king of Israel before Babylon took over. Now, yeah, that's interesting, a little bit of history for you. But what I want to do now we're going to pull back the curtain even more and show some more meaning to this. If you want to turn with me or write it down, I'm going to read out of Jeremiah 22:24 right now. The word of the Lord speaking through the prophet Jeremiah. And he says, As surely as I live, declares the Lord, even if you, Jehoiakim, Zerubbabel's grandfather, right, the king, even if you, Jehoiakim, King of Judah, were a signet ring on my hand, I would still pull you off. I will deliver you into the hands of those who want to kill you, those you fear, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon and the Babylonians. You will never come back to the land you long to return to. This is what the Lord says. Record this as if, record this man, excuse me, as if childless a man who will not prosper in his lifetime, for none of his offspring will prosper. None will sit on the throne of David or rule anymore in Judah. Zerubbabel would have remembered this. He would have remembered the word of the Lord because of his grandfather who was disobedient to God and completely turned his ways from God. And because of that, God said, even if you were my signet ring, I would pull you right off. I'm going to deliver you to your enemies, and your offspring will never prosper. So imagine this. You're flipping this back to what we're talking about in Haggai. 
And this is when God tells Zerubbabel, I'm going to make you like my signet ring because I've chosen you. I'm actually going to bring restoration in your life, in your line, because he does what God does is he establishes, reestablishes the line. See, Zerubbabel's a governor because they were still under Persian rule. So he couldn't be a king because of his grandfather. If his grandfather would have been obedient, then he would have been a king as well. But he was just a mere governor ruling over Judah. But God said, I'm going to reestablish you. I'm going to overturn kingdoms. I'm going to do all of this. And if you look at the very beginning of Matthew and the Gospels, you will see, if you go halfway through that lineage of Jesus Christ, you will see Zerubbabel. God didn't just restore that family line. He completely redeemed it. And the Messiah came from the same line that he did. So he went from being associated within a family with where God himself said, I'm going to take you off. Even if you're this ring of tremendous value and authority, I'm taking you off. I'm going to chuck you away and I'm delivering you to your enemies. And now God is saying, I have chosen you. And you are going to be my signet ring. Inspiring, but you might say, well, that's great. This is this governor that died, and yes, he was in the line of David and in the line of Jesus, but where does this fit in for me? God's promises remain the same. God's promises for his people, the people of Judah, once they turned to him, he said, from this day on, I will bless you. And I believe today that for so many of us, we need to hear that. That God wants your best yes. And a lot of times we'll do things to try and evoke the blessing of God, right? Well, I did this so I should get a little blessing, God. I did this so, like, bless me now, right? Give and take. When God is like, I want all of your heart. I want all of you. We actually have a God who is eager to bless. On that very day, When he talked to them about their crops not growing, he tells them, from this day forward, I will bless you. And things changed. But then the story immediately after with Zerubbabel is one of restoration where so many of us, maybe we have a troubled past. Maybe it's a bit colorful. Maybe our walk with Jesus hasn't been one that's on the straight and narrow. Maybe there's been a lot of turnoffs and a lot of bumps and hurdles in our journey with God. But I believe just like God did in that very moment for Zerubbabel, that God can do for you today, church. When he told Zerubbabel, I have chosen you, do you realize that God looks at you, family, and he says that? Do you realize God says, I have chosen you? I have chosen you. In 1 Peter 2.9, Peter says, but you, you are a chosen people. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Do you look at yourself as God's special possession? 
I pray that you start to look at yourself this way. God's special possession. He says that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. When Peter wrote this letter, he was writing it to all of the Christians in Asia Minor that were being persecuted. Imagine living a difficult life and being persecuted for your faith. Not being able to worship freely. And he actually tells them, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. Generations before that, that's sacrilegious to call them a priesthood because priests were like holy. They were the only ones that could talk to God, right? And Peter's saying, because of the cross, you are now the priesthood. You are chosen. You're God's special possession. My prayer for you today, church, that you won't walk away from this place without at least writing that down or allowing that to get into your spirit. That you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. You are God's special possession that he holds near and dear to his heart. He cherishes, cherishes you. He's brought us out of the darkness into his wonderful light. And what I'd love to do is I want to invite the guys up, the worship team up. Ken and Lee. Ken Lee. <laughs> this song that we're going to sing, Lee and some of the team wrote this about a year and a half ago. It's called Welcome Home. What I'd love to bring attention to is not just obviously the fact that it's an amazing song, but I want you to be very aware and cognizant of the lyrics that you're going to be singing in a moment. Because it was so intentional the way that this song was written. What it does is it identifies our past. It identifies who we were. Maybe we're lost in sin struggling, whatever it may be. It identifies who we were, but then it declares who God says we are. And so when you sing that today, I really believe some of us need to take heart to some of those lyrics and actually declare those over our own life right now. When we sing it today, may it not just be an anthem that we're closing out church with, but may it be a declaration over your 2018. Maybe at some point during this song, You'll go from simply singing and singing along to making a resolve in this. That this is who I am in Christ. That I am chosen. Things might not look like this right now, but I am chosen. I'm holy and I'm set apart because of the cross. God brought me from the darkness into his wonderful light because that's what he's done, right? God has brought us out of the darkness. So when we sing this, we can make a declaration over ourselves. And sometimes we need to keep singing stuff and singing it and singing it until our heart catches up with what's coming out of our mouth. We need to keep declaring it. We need to shift from just singing words to God, allow this to be an anthem that I speak over myself today, that I am chosen, I am your child, that I am your special possession that you hold near and dear to your heart, God. That's something to be excited about. Amen? Can we stand together as a family?
So church, as we sing this again, once you feel comfortable, once you're able to read those lyrics and you see the lyrics, this is going to turn into a declaration today. This is the amen of yes and amen, right? This is the resolve that Anne-Marie was talking about, where we draw a line in the sand and we say, no more am I this. No more am I broken because now I'm called and I am healed. I have healing. I have restoration. I have wholeness because of the cross. No longer maybe is, am I orphan or I don't have a father or do I have someone that loves me like this? I have a God in heaven that refers to me as his special possession. You can't say that without a smile going on your face. From this day forward, he's going to bless you.